My name's Paul Murray, I'm a TV producer. And Stephen and I go back um, about a million years to when we were both at art school together. Um, so we hopefully will know <laughs> where the story goes <laughs> and where it started. Um, Stephen graduated from Glasgow School of Art in 1991. Um, he went on to, uh, as a design assistant at the Sitz Theatre, and uh, he ended up being a BAFTA award-winning set designer for Darren Brown. Um, and what we're going to do tonight, over the next hour or so, is look at some of his work, discuss how he got from being an art school graduate to a design professional, and along the way look at some of the kind of highs and lows of shows, what you need to look out for, things about contemporary design in television. Um, I think it's probably useful if you ask questions as we go along, I suspect, because if you leave it to the very end, then you can't remember really what you were talking about and it might not flow so beautifully as we hope it will. Um, so tell me how you got started then, because you did not start in a television graduate position. No, I uh, quite a while after I'd left art school. Yeah. Um, I graduated from art school in 1991 with a degree in printed textiles which had kind of fallen into by accident. It was not, I hadn't even considered textiles as an option when I applied to art school. At that point, when everybody that went to Glasgow School of Art wanted to go into painting, that was, you know, but when I got there, I kind of experienced these different things, which is what the foundation year was then. You know, you got to experience all these different departments. And I was, I was always a massive fan of Andy Warhol, so I wanted to learn about the photographic silkscreen process, um, and the printed textile department kind of gave me that, so I did it. And then, but when I left art school, um, I, c I could have pursued a career as a textile designer, but I, I just I kind of chose not to. I was I was my degree my degree show was was used as a um, it was used in the cover of Design Magazine on the month that I graduated, and I also had a full page article on El Decoration, and I was also commissioned by Liberties to design a range of bath towels, all from a degree show. So I could have went down that that way that route, but I just I had no passion for it. I was wanting, looking for something that was a bit more kind of like multi-skilled. So, but were you aware, did you watch telly at the time? No, because no, right. TV wasn't an option. I wasn't right. even concerned at th that time. I was thinking, I was thinking along the terms of kind of like uh, theatre, because I knew that theatre involved kind of you know kind of like prop making, scenic painting, maybe bits of costume work, which was relevant to my textile yeah. um, uh, degree. And I just knew that I just knew that it was exciting, and it was kind of like, um, also at that time the Citizens Theatre was selling tickets for two pounds a ticket. So I went to the theatre quite a bit, and I was really, really, really kind of drawn there. So, um, but I had no theatre experience whatsoever. And then one day I seen I was reading the newspaper, and I seen that the uh, the Citizens Theatre was advertising for bar staff, and I just thought that's that's it, that's kind of my route in. <laughs> so I got a job as a part time barman. Within six weeks, I was the bar manager. Um, and within 12 weeks I was a design assistant I just knew that I had to get in the building <laughs> do you know what I mean so did you have like, blackmail photographs no, of people I just, I just, you know, just, just kind of knew what I was doing you know? if mm. I'd have went and knocked, if I'd have went to Citizens Theatre and knocked on the door with a, with a, a, a textile portfolio they would have laughed you out the building do you know what I mean? They just they wouldn't have entertained that at all not when there's like other graduates who've got like theatre design um, degrees who are trying to get the same job so I knew that the, the, kind of like the way the way to get just get your just get yourself in the environment and just give yourself every opportunity to 
meet the people they can kind of like get me where I wanted to be kind of thing without being really really ruthless I was I was I was just I was a new graduate and I was just a chancer but but was it a, but it was a but it was a conscious decision to yeah, go to the sits and get to the bar and that was a yeah, and I we, wasn't, as soon as I seen the bar advert it was like there's a little little bulk coming around I just thought you're beauty that's me I'm in the building I'm in the building and if I'm in the building I just I was full of confidence at that point do you know what I mean? And I just thought, there's no way I'm not going to be a design assistant. Of course I'm a, you know, I might be pouring pints at, at the, the, the interval just now, but it's only a matter of time. And it, it, it happened a lot quicker than I thought. It took me, it took me 12 weeks, you know, and in the process I ended up running the bar. Right. Do you know what I mean? So, um, so and then I did that for, I, don't, I think it was a paint, scenic painter there, scenic painter design assistant for about five, six years. So th- this is going to come up later, the things that you learnt there ended mm-hmm. up being helpful in your TV career. So what, what did you learn in the theatre environment? Theatre budgets are tiny. They're absolutely tiny. Somewhere like the sets has got a, kind of, it's got a prop store and all these shows that you see at the sets, they're all bits of sets that are all cobbled together, painted, taken apart, put together different ways. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and you learn to be really, really resourceful. You learn to make stuff out of nothing. Absolutely nothing, you know, and um, you know, and stuff like that. You just, it, it, it was great for me because I could do things with my hands. I enjoyed all the making, you know, the kind of like making of the props and all that kind of thing. I also enjoyed going big scale with painting, which you could never do before, you know. Never, never had that opportunity. So I learned a lot of the sets, an awful, awful lot. And you taught when we were speaking the other day about that sense of it's a box that you can never get out of Absolutely. and that's sort of essentially quite a lot of TV design is like that well it is the, the TV design that I ended up doing you yeah. know kind of like for studios and stuff like that is pretty much the same but the um, I didn't design in theatre do you know what I mean I only assisted on it but you know there's lots of there's some amazing designers come through. Um, there's amazing designers come through the Citizens Theatre. Phil Prowse is an absolute genius. Kenny Miller was really, really good. We had a guy called David Fielding come and, and he did uh, he did a few sets and he was I, I, I really, really liked his stuff. But he was actually responsible for the he was responsible for some of the looks of the Pet Shop Boys. Do you know what I mean? Really, really contemporary and really, really abstract. So what made theatre exciting, and it's, it's similar to television, is that y- you get a complete and utter mixture. It's not all the same. Some of it, you know, I enjoy the period stuff a lot, enjoy learning about the, the history and all the period stuff, but I really, really enjoy the kind of like the visual gluttony of just totally contemporary stuff as well. And so how, l- and how long did you stay there for? I stayed there for far, about five and, a, five and a half, six years, something like that, and then I left there um, and I went, I went freelance and when I went freelance, I worked for lots of different design companies all over, um, all over the country. I worked some London between London and, and Dundee, um, just going around painting sets. And also became involved in like design assistant for events. There was a massive uh, Condonast event which happened at the fruit market in Glasgow, which was an incredible job. I was a design assistant on that. Um, it was all kind of like events theatre type thing. Also at the time, Mayfest was still going, um, and then. Uh, that kind of Mayfest dried up, but I used to get employed a lot at the Edinburgh Festival. There's theatre companies would maybe come over from like Japan. There's one, a memorable one called the Bunkamura Theatre Company. They came over and they got me to go in and they, they had set builders, builder sets, but I went in and touched it up and made sure it was all seamless and, and all that kind of stuff. I did quite a bit of that at the festival every year. So how then, how then do you get 
into television? How do you get out of theatre and into television? What's, <laughs> right. the, what, 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 what's the leap and why well, did you leave? But guess what? It got a little bit. I, I still wasn't <laughs> considered on TV at that point. Yeah. But what happens when I I was offered an opportunity which started as a little bit of fun. Um, it was often an opportunity started a little bit of fun. It was one of my friends was working for a fashion show producer who was putting on a big fashion event in Glasgow and they needed dressers to dress the models at the show. So I went along to that and worked as a dresser. Got on very, very well with the fashion show producer and she asked me then to come to London and work with her in lots of different fashion shows. And it was only a short-term thing. It was a good laugh. It was nothing more than that. It was not a career move. It was a good laugh. And it was a it was a different side of life that I'd never ever seen. So I ended up I went and worked for her for a bit, and that for, for some reason that really really took off. And I left all the theatre design, I left all the theatre um, the theatre stuff behind, and I became totally submerged in this world of fashion. And I ended up I designed a couple of catwalks for a designer called Betty Jackson at London Fashion uh, uh, London Fashion Week shows. I also designed and had made some like hair ornaments for one of her shows. Um, and I got, I didn't intend to stick with that for so long, but I stuck with that for about four or five years because I also got the opportunity to travel. I worked, worked from being a dresser up to wardrobe master and assistant producer of shows, and I get sent to Australia to produce a show for the Department of Trade and Industry, sent to Warsaw for, um, to do another show for them, and then through doing all that, I then, um, another company, an opera company contacted me. Sorry, a London-based opera company contacted me and asked me to um, to come and work with them. So one minute, I'd, I'd be, it was a mixture of a wardrobe master for an opera company and a uh, wardrobe master for these these fashion shows. But, but the fashion shows were, were brilliant. You know, all the, I've dressed most of the supermodels and all that kind of thing, but I knew that it wasn't a career. It, it doesn't matter whose tights they are, you're still picking up tights. Do you know what I mean? And it, you know, so it was good. It was really, really good fun. And there was a bit, you know, there's all that like champagne kicking about backstage. It was brilliant, but definitely not a career option. No, definitely. Oh, and be, be, that's how that's what led me to TV. I'd done it, and I'd just had enough. I wonder, I'd done. I used to be wardrobe master at the the main event, the main show in uh, Birmingham for the Close Show Live. And I just I remember do, finishing this show and I just thought, I can't do this. I definitely can't do this anymore. I need to be within the art department. And purely by fluke, when I, when I was freelance as a design assistant, there was a company called Rain Dog, um, who was owned by Bobby Carlyle and Caroline Patterson, who played Ruth and EastEnders. And, uh, they had this company and um, I used to paint all Rain Dogs. I used to be their scenic painter, so I'd, I'd paint all their sets. And... Totally by fluke. Bobby Carlyle had left the company at this point, but Rain Dog got a commission to make a drama called Tinseltown. And I just, again, I just thought, of course they're going to go employ me. They've got to employ me because I've painted other shows. How could, they, how could they possibly refuse me? So I then got in touch. You then got in touch, but not with them. But does it, does anyone remember Tinseltown? Yeah, it was like a kind of, it was, it was about the time of sort of you. Young professional yeah. drama, and it was a BBC show. Wasn't yeah, it? it was trying. It was trying. It was trying to be really, really kind of hard hitting. It was about a yeah. nightclub in Glasgow, and it was, it was just crazy. It was meant to be. Anyway, I was, it was good at the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> should watch it with different eyes at the moment. Yeah, um, but they, so I can So that was my, that became my first TV job. So I went in there as everybody starts in TV as a runner. So I went in there as a runner, but I, did, I was this time I was like twenty eight, twenty nine. Right. Um, so I was quite old to be a runner, you know. And, 
most runners come directly out of college. Yeah. So we're in there as the runner. Um, and uh, it got on really, really well with the designer, um, a guy called Ian McDonald. And he was always, he was always, for some reason, he was quite envious of my career in theatre. His passion was theatre, but he was a TV designer and a really, really established one. So me and him had lots of conversations about theatre shows that I'd worked on that he'd went to see and wanted to know how things were done and stuff. So it really, really sold me. That helped sell me to him. Um, and then he just took me on to every job he had after that and then that was I was always assisting for him and then eventually I ditched that and went along after uh, Tinseltown Rain Dog didn't do much and then they uh, I had done a small interactive thing for them called JCN16 for BBC uh, and you know so I kept in touch with them and then they got they'd got uh, funding from the micro budgets at uh, Scottish Screen I think it was at the time and we made this film called Wasted which was an incredible experience it was really really fantastic it was it really it was a team effort you know what I mean it was it was a very very it was great low budget presumably low budget and you know virtually virtually no budget but you know everybody really really did pull together and it's the thing about a company working for a company like Rain Dog is that you know the they carry people with them for years. You know, they go back. They're very, very loyal to the people who have been there and they've been doing shows for nothing and stuff. And so it was, everybody felt incredibly supported by everybody else. Do you know what I mean? There was no kind of like blame culture. Or, you know, nobody's pulling their weight. So if it was, somebody was kind of like falling behind, everybody else kind of like helped, helped them together. Wasted was a fantastic experience. Um, for a first major design for me, it was quite challenging because there was no script. The whole thing was completely was completely improvised. We had there was a rehearsal period where they these characters would uh, would kind of like, they would the characters would develop for four weeks in a rehearsal uh, rehearsal um, studio, and then we basically we just we jumped in. We knew we had a location where these characters lived, um, but the story could change on a day to day basis. On no budget, what made that quite challenging was you had to make sure that people had things. You know, you had to make sure that people had things round about them that they possibly could use. Do you know what I mean? So, like, every character... As props. Yeah, because if somebody, you know... Normally in a, normally in a drama, you'd have, you know, you do your scene-by-scene breakdown. So if somebody's smoking, then you make sure that on your on your art department breakdown, you make sure that you've got the cigarettes plus repeats, lighter refillable lighter, you know, plus repeats, and, you know, you, you make sure you've got all that. Whereas when we were shooting this, you had to make sure that every character had fags, a teacup. If they were there in the kitchen, the kettle worked, the water had to run, they had... Do you know what I mean? So everything had to work round about them, just in case one of them decided to kind of, like, go off, uh, kind of, like, go, go on a tangent or something like that, which they encouraged, you know, that's what, what made it quite exciting. But, um, and, it, like... It, no, uh, no money. Um, no money meant that we got a we got a lot of set pieces from things like free cycle. Do you know what I mean? So um, you know, like people that would be throwing stuff out. You know, we'd like, try. We'd basically try and get a stock of like furniture and try and slip it into like different, you know, like different sets and and stuff like that. And do you think because you were in theatre that that was closer to Absolutely. that experience? So Absolutely. you weren't uncomfortable and you weren't out your depth. The challenge. It was. You know. It was. I loved it. I really, really loved it. Although. Um, although I was a bit apprehensive when they offered me the design because I knew it was a lot of responsibility. It was the first time they had made a film and it was the first thing that they had done in a long time. You know, so there was there was a lot of pressure there, but, um, you know, they, they assured me that they wanted me to do it because of the way that I'd worked with them in the past and also they knew that I would be a, a valid member of that team 
and you know so once it, it was it was a bit scary to start with but once we get into it and I started it started taking shape um, and I did I had to pull on everything that I had from my theatre experience you know all that taking things making them into the thing nothing and making it into something and did you had you had to pitch for that no job no no they came to me there was right. I think initially I think that, uh, they, they'd offered the job up to Andy Harris um, who's a really, really experienced director, a, a designer, and he also had some history. Andy used to design their stage shows a long time ago. He'd offered it up to Andy Harris, and um, he was going to do it, and then he had to pull out. Um, and when he pulled out, they, you know, I was I was the second choice, but you know, they they convinced me to do it. So, I think it's good. It's good to it's good to stretch yourself, but know your limitations. At that early stage, uh-huh. in your career, because yeah. well, the thing is, it's that you know, if they came to me and said you've got a budget and you've got five hundred grand, I wouldn't have known what to do with five hundred grand. But because I had nothing, it was you know, I, at that stage of my career, that seemed more appropriate. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I couldn't have dealt with a massive budget with a massive department because I wouldn't have known how to structure it, and I wouldn't have known how to divvy up that money. But because I had nothing, it was you know, it was all about um, it was it was just all about kind of like getting together the best that you could. So that felt more achievable. That felt more achievable to me. And did you have staff at that point with people I working had, under you? I had one buyer and I had a runner to do the to do the whole thing. But it was all pretty contained. It was all kind of t- it was you know the nature of the the film. Was that it was based on a based on a, a kind of squat within a warehouse? You know what I mean. So it wasn't as if we'd like multiple locations all over the city and night shoots and all that kind of thing. You know where you maybe have to like run two to like two shifts to cover, you know, to cover the prep, dressing, strike, shoot, all that kind of thing. So it was it, it felt it felt manageable. It was exciting and it felt manageable. And did you did you know? From the Tinseltown thing, then the difference between theatre design, where you can't necessarily see something in the background, and the fact that the lens might pick that up now, and the fact that you might do multiple takes and all the kind of yeah, things that, that wasn't new to you as television. My my first job on Tinseltown was I wasn't I didn't start off as just the art department runner. I was the standby props runner, which was really really good for me because it standby means that you're beside the filming unit. It means that you're with the camera. You know, an art director is in the base in the office, but the standby art director is always with the camera. You're always filming, and you're responsible for looking down the lens and making sure, looking at the monitor, making sure everything everything is as it should be. So I was the standby props runner, which meant that I was on the film set all the time. And there, I got to, I got to learn so much more because I was so I became submerged in the filming process. Do you know what I mean? So I understood why they needed repeats. I understood that things like Venetian blinds would strobe on camera, so they either have to be fully open or fully shut. You know, I understood about like resetting props, marking drinks, continuity. It was I learned an awful, awful lot in that position. And you talked about learning, just picking up the jargon, jargon of what people j- talk jargon's, about. Jargon's essential. That like. It was really good for me to be, to be on the floor because you know things like certain things will give you away as looking looking unexperienced. Things like nobody calls the director of photography the director of photography. He's the DOP. Do you know what I mean? And if anybody if you if you say the director of photography, it kind of makes you look as if you're you're not used to that environment. Nobody calls the assistant producer the assistant producer. They're the AP. Do you know what I mean? And the things like, if somebody, you could be working on a non-TX pilot, which just means a non-transmittable pilot show, you know, so it's that, it's having that, learning that jargon will make you appear really, really quickly as, as, as if you know the industry. 
And so what then got you, because you moved to London after that. I, worked, so, I, was working in, I was working in Glasgow and I kind of felt that... I kind of felt that there was nowhere for me to go. I was assistant. I was assistant Ian McDonald and only Ian McDonald, and I just kind of felt that getting promoted was just becoming more and more difficult. It was. It was. It was almost like impossible. I felt as if the only way I was going to get promoted is if somebody died. Do you know what I mean? And created a space so that I it would so allow. You banana skins everywhere. <laughs> allowed me to step up, and then, but then I kind of, I always had it in my head that you know things weren't progressing fast enough, and then I broke my ankle. Um, and uh, I remember thinking, I'm, this isn't going to be the year that I broke my ankle, I'm going to do something monumental, so I moved to London. So as instead of that being the year I broke my ankle, that became the year that I moved to London. And when I went to London, things just started happening, just eff- effortlessly, really effortlessly. The first job I had when I went to London was, um, I designed Xbox 360 was launching, and they had this massive launch in Amsterdam. And there was an aerial performance promoting their their new character, Joanna Dark. And I designed the costumes for the aerial performance for the acrobats. So I went down, I did that. And also at the time, I did a lot of work for a company called Dun and Dusted, who do a lot of music and live events. And they do like the EMA Awards. They also film at, uh, they did the opening of the Olympic Stadium, you know, all that kind of thing. So I went to work. I had contacts there, so I got offered a lot of work there, and I was designing interview sets for bands and some stages for bands because at that time, Carling was sponsoring lots and lots of shows, music shows for Channel Four, and I became the kind of go-to person for that. So I had a good glut of working of working for them. Um, and is that the time that you learnt how to do the digital design bit of it? Because no. that. Because what I, I knew, I, I was always aware when I was when I'd left art school. Kind of computers weren't really a big thing then, you know. It was no bit that you know the art school had just had like two computers in <laughs> yeah, the whole place. Computers no work. But as the older I was getting, I was becoming more aware that I was competing for jobs with other art directors that, and they were all computer literate. They all knew Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, CAD, and these were skills. These were skills that I didn't have. But after I'd been working for. Channel 4 and Dun and Dusty I then got the call from Monkey Kingdom to go and work on to art direct we were one of the two art directors on the Charlotte Churchill so I did that for three series and that's where I met Dom Clasby who then would go on to become the other half of the Handsome Chaps the, the design team that we have so I worked, did three series of the Charlotte Churchill art directing that with Dom and then what happened was then the recession hit and work just dried up I mean it was it was quite it was remarkable how quickly it happened, and I just, you know, I knew a lot of people. I'd built up a lot of contacts in the TV industry at this time, so I knew a lot. Everybody was worried about not having any money and not working, and so I then again I thought, oh, this isn't going to be the year that I've no money. So I then used that as an opportunity, like, rather than being a negative, I tried to make it a positive. Use that as an opportunity to take a year and step out. So I stepped out and I came back to Glasgow and I went and did a, a one-year graphic design course. And when I went and did the graphic design course, I, I made it clear to them that I didn't want to be a graphic designer. I wanted the skills of a graphic designer to make me a better TV production designer. There's so many elements of uh, like Photoshop and Illustrator that you need in TV. It could be if you've got to create a, a, a period a period uh, picture of a character, you know, you maybe like need to take their head off and put it on like a soldier's body, you know, all this kind of thing. And, 
um, image manipulation it helped me with that and also possibly if you're doing like a safety you're, you're in a nightclub you know like designing posters for the nightclub and beer mats and beer bottle labels and this gave me the skill to do that that's what that's that's when I went back to college do, does it, do, I mean do you guys know about all that kind of the copyright issues around design and so you can't use any old poster in the background and yeah, so that's there's, there's, and, and especially in drama if you're filming a scene which is really really contentious if you're filming a rape scene Budweiser don't want the rapist sitting drinking at a bottle of Budweiser. Do you, do you want know Bryce I mean? beer? Yeah, instead. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But you know, a, I mean that's a really, really extreme case. Yeah. But it could. I mean, but also if there's like a, a scene, say there's a scene in like Grange Hill or something like that, where like kids are sitting in the park drinking, no company is going to want yeah. to be associated with that scene. It is not. It is not good exposure for them. Um, so you know, sometimes you need to you need to get like clearance on the name which is done by production, but then we need to come up with a, an image, a graphic image, which will, you know, which will go with that name. I, I wondered you, because the Charlotte Church show is a classic, what would be, what we used to be calling a kind of LE show, isn't uh, it? It's a studio base, it's probably multi-camera. It was the first time I'd been into, the first time I'd worked in light entertainment. Yeah. Apart from doing the music shows before, um, it was, it was amazing. It was, a, it's, I don't know to this day, I know at one point, it was Channel Four's most successful show in that allocated time slot, yeah. um, and uh, it was great. It was filmed as live, but broadcast two days later. It had, like A-list celebrities, it had a musical content. It had a, you know they had a live band. We also had comedy VT. That's videotape. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd get like, comedy VT sketches, which would which we'd maybe have shot like three or four days before, and then have played in the studio. But we'd also have live comedy uh, sketches on another stage. It was it was a really really it was an amazing show. It was really really great, and it was exciting to work on. Really really exciting. Um, and so at this point, are you thinking? This might be a career, or are you still thinking? No, I was loving it. By the right. time I got to Charlotte, doing the music stuff felt a bit like I'm like being in fashion shows because yeah. you're working really closely with, with musicians, and like some of the egos are just killer, absolute killer. Um, you know, but doing something like Charlotte Churchill, I was distanced from the distance from the talent, and it was just all about my work. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so I, I enjoy that much more. I don't deal well a lot with having to pander around about like celebrities and stuff like that, and that's what stopped me it stopped me pursuing a career in the fashion industry it's you know some people are really really good at it you know and that's their career it's it's not mine and did you did, see at that point because set design seems to me to be quite a specific thing there's almost a certain palette of colours that they use and you know that it's going to be lit in a certain way uh-huh. and it's going to be shot from a certain position there's always going to be an audience uh-huh. and factor in there did, did you know those technical skills of no. them, or did, right? So how did you pick them up? Just by watching, just 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 by watch by watching and uh, by watching and listening, you know, and seeing, you know, um, kind of, and and I, really asking asking questions, um, you know, asking, you know, rather than just ask ask the right people who are round about. If you want to know how a jib works, ask the jib operator. Do you know what I mean? And you know, and they'll tell you. And if you if you open up. So much of what so much of what I do is also personality based. You have to get on with people. You have to communicate with people. So if there's going to be a problem with the jib moving through the set, I need to speak to the jib operator because I could have a set piece or a hanging, you know, uh, you know, like hanging mood lights or something like that. I need to know about that. So you know, communication is essential. And did you, essential. do you just can you talk through about how the, the what's the steps of that then? Because you can't. Presumably, it's bad to have the set 
in place and then the jib appears. You need to do that in pre-production, don't Production. you? Production. Basically, yeah. basically the uh, first thing that happens is uh, we'll, if we're approached by a job, we'll get a phone call from the production manager or one of the producers. You then go in for a chat, get the gist of the show. Um, they, we ask them to send through any information they've got, whether it's sometimes they've done like a treatment you know, or a Bible, you know, where they, they it's just like a document where they talk about what can happen in the show, what the aims are, you know, all this kind of thing. And then what we would do is we would normally go away and come up with a series of mood boards. Now, the way that I like to play it is I like to give th- three options of design. One that I really, really love, that, you know, that I really, really want to do. One that's a bit all right and one that's absolutely rotten. <laughs> and, you know, because the one that's... I'm happy to do one of the other two, but the one that's absolutely rotten, I usually use it to back up the other two so that I can, you know, it's almost like I can say, well, we can do this, or we can do this, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Um, but sometimes we have been caught out and they've loved the rotten one and I've had to go and do something which, you know, um, uh, I, my heart's not really in. So what we do is we, pre- we present a storyboard that, and that's where that's where I would get to know, like, the producers and, uh, and you know, because there's a whole exec producer, series producer, producer, assistant producer, or, you know, we've got to pitch them all. But that's where we get to know them and we get to find out what they like and what their thoughts are on the show. Um, and then from that... I used to produce a 3D model, little bits of cardboard and stuff. That's totally antiquated now. Now we work with a, now we work with a, uh, an absolute computer wizard, this little guy Rupert, who's he uses two two packages called Maya and CAD, and he produces 3D models for us. And the good thing about producing 3D models is we can change the color. You know, he just he just clicks a button and it changes the lighting states. We can put up light it, down light it. We can from his 3D model we can take a still from like the camera angles of where the cameras will be positioned in the studio you know and we can also uh, you know we can also have like uh, we can present like images of like uh, you know like uh, viewpoints of the presenter or see you know a shot over the presenter's shoulder onto the guest it's it's amazing it's really really amazing so then we would then produce these let's say these uh, these um 3D models and then from that sometimes there's a whole process where things have got to be changed in terms of scale, colour or whatever and then once that's all locked off we then have using the CAD package uh, Rupert will then take all the measurements of the set and then a computer basically draws it up email it off to the construction company and they build it and we then supervise the build in the studio. That's for a studio set. So the next show then is you're edging towards your BAFTA association now. So um, this is Darren Brown, uh, Objective Productions, an independent production company. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone knows Darren Brown. He's a kind of manipulator, mind. magician, mind-bendy guy. Uh, he was a big deal at Channel 4 um, and had a contract with them that meant that he produced some of their biggest entertainment shows. And I think it's fair to say... He was pushing the boundaries of what was possible in television. You might remember he did the Russian roulette thing. He he, he was a controversial is, uh, is a controversial and talented guy. How did that happen? We got we got the phone call. It was the exam, the same exec producer who exec produced the Charlotte Churchill woman called Fecot Fecotter Craig. And she took over. She came in late to Darren Brown's experiments and she took over. And um there was an existing art department there who she didn't see eye to eye with. She didn't think they could cut it, so she contacted... At the time I was working in Glasgow, 
Um, this is just after it came out the the, the the design code, the college graphics course. She contacted Dom, and Dom, at that point, Dom was our directing master chef, um, and she asked him if he would come in our directing. He said he couldn't, but he said he could possibly convince me to do it as a job share. So I would do the first three weeks, he would do the second three weeks. Um, so she's very, very up for that, and it ended up, I went down, started off working in this, art directing it, and it was like... It was like nothing else I'd ever experienced. It really was. It was frantic. It changed. It changed every day. The demands that they, they were asking for were mammoth. Absolutely mammoth. Um, money was no option. The one thing I will say with this is money was no option. But sometimes, if somebody asks you at like 8 o'clock on a Friday night, you know, can you get me, I don't know, can, you know, can you, can you get me a stuffed giraffe? You can't. You just can't do it. No amount of money in the world is going to get it. You know, but I'm not saying that we were asked for that. But mm. um, it was just. It, it was incredible. It was. Ab- it was a really, really incredible experience. So I did that series. And does, does anyone remember that series? It's the one where Stephen Fry gets shot, and there was also the other one where the guy goes to the the, the guy goes to the uh, student futures conference, and they end up through just through manipulating situations around the bottom to make this guy think that he could have killed somebody and might have committed a murder and it was it was that series and it was it was amazing it was, it was the first time I'd done anything like that and it was totally thrilling you know because I was in the truck and I was watching we had to hide cameras all over the place the thing about Darren shows as well as designing the look at his shows um, I'd say about 70% of the work that we do for him is not visible and if it is visible we're not doing it right because all of his shows are filmed covertly so it means that you know we would have to you know we'd have to hide cameras up here and those lights and speakers, possibly put a false wall up, two way mirror, all that kind of thing with you know like cameramen, but cameramen behind them. I think in the hotel, the one that was guilt trip, which was part of that series, I think we had something like sixty cameras within a hotel, and they all have to be cabled with sound and all that kind of thing. You have to hide all the cables and and things. It was it was okay. It was really. It, Really, really thrilling when it did but again, work. New stuff. I mean, I don't know if Completely. anyone knows about magic, but magic is filmed. It's. I hate to shatter anyone's illusions here, but <laughs> there are lots of tricks to make them work, and so you would presumably have to learn this stuff. Yeah. For fresh. We also, we have to we have to sign a, a non disclosure agreement, which is like that thick, you know. Um, and it's but because there's so much secrecy in a show like that. You can't ask questions out loud in the office. You've got to email people. Do you know what I mean? Because not everybody in the office is aware of everything that's going on with the show because it's absolutely shrouded in secrecy, especially with somebody like Darren Brown because it, he's, you know, he's pretty prolific. Yeah, he, even then, you know, so there was like the, the, the press were really, really keen to find out what he was up to, how it was done, and you know, they're expecting leaps coming from all over the place. So you couldn't just ask out loud where we were filming the next day. It had to be bloody well coded message which made it made it a wee bit made it more difficult but also made it a bit more exciting because we knew everything <laughs> and did and, and like a bit like the exec producers there are only a certain number of people who can know everything mm-hmm. you as the art department since they have to rely almost entirely on you for it to work mm-hmm. presumably they have to have your total trust that's right yeah mm-hmm. and it's I mean there's not I mean Quite tempting, even with like, even with like the apprentice and stuff. That people are saying, oh, "Who won the apprentice? Who's won? Who's what?" There's no point in giving it away. There's absolutely no point in giving it away because you know, as soon as you start busting that bubble, you know, it's over. It's over. It's kind of over for all of us, you know. So, 
What we was? How did he explain what he was trying to do to you? Darren didn't. Darren's right. not involved. Darren's not involved. I say she comes in at the last minute and changes everything. Right. And that, what happened was the producers had called us in for a meeting and said this is totally hush hush. What we're trying to do is we're trying to convince someone that the world is possibly ending, and we just thought, oh God, this is amazing. At the beginning, we thought this is amazing, um, but that wasn't all we were doing there. We were making another three other shows as well. But eventually, the, you know, the apocalypse became so encompassing that they had no option other than to let the other ones go. They ended up just making one other show, which was the Fear and Faith one. Um, but they, they told us um, it changed all the time because the way, that, the way that they cast this was... The apocalypse was never meant to freak anybody out. It was never meant to torture, torture them. And, you know, we had, we had all this information. The apocalypse is actually based on The Wizard of Oz. And if you were to go back and watch it now, you see all the tales, you see all the signs there. He's got to take the yellow route to find his family, which is like the yellow brick road. Brick road. The helicopter that comes down to take him away has got a hot air balloon on it. In the, the little girl's room, there's a lion, a tiger and a bear. Do you know what I mean? There's all these little, there's all these clues. It's, it's, it's got its basis in a fairy tale. But essentially what they were doing with the apocalypse is they wanted to take somebody who they'd really liked, who was essentially a really, really nice guy, and they wanted to put him in an extreme situation to make him realise his potential. And the way that they could do that was to you know, put him in the most amazing extreme, extreme situation. So we didn't know when we were going to shoot it, we just had to start doing it. And they started kind of like hiding cameras in his house and, you know, I, I mean, the detail in that show was just immense. Um, you know, we had to like... His favourite show was um, his favourite show was Sunday Brunch, and we so what we had did we went to Sunday Brunch and we filmed a fake edition of the Sunday Brunch, and then when he was sitting watching TV, he's, he went to make a cup of tea in the Sunday morning. We went to make a cup of tea in the Sunday morning, and then we came back. We had hacked his TV, so we played our episode, and there was a scientist talking about how there could be a meteor shower and it could bring all sorts of disease and stuff. So we were drip feeding him information for like two months before we actually filmed. The Apocalypse, which was only filmed over three days, and even even uh, stuff like he goes out for chips with his dad, and he's you know he's so we're filming them in the van. His dad saying, "Oh, what with this meteor shower?" And he's saying, Stephen Brosnan saying, "Oh, you know, dear God, it's you know, it's a bit mental." So then his dad goes into the shop. Stephen Brosnan goes into the chip shop, and there's a radio in the chip shop saying, "My God, the meteor shower could be here within 24 hours." So there was it was incredibly incredibly complex. Our challenge was, as well as like filming, doing, looking after all this covert filming and providing them with props like, you know, like fake newspapers that somebody would sit in front of them with a, you know, a fake newspaper on the train, with a fake headline about the, about the meteor shower. We had to, we had to supply all that, but um, but we also had to create this create this world, where he had no option, absolutely no option to believe that this is real. You know, he was hypnotised twice. He was hypnotised to get him off the bus and into the apocalypse. I don't know if any, have any of you seen it. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's you should you should watch it. Yeah, you should. You should watch it just to see how this is structured. It really is an incredible piece of kind of TV production. He's on the bus and he thinks he's going to a secret. He thinks he's going to a killers concert. And as he's on the bus, the bus is driving down a lane, and next thing, all these explosions start. Trees bursting into flames. People running up, hitting the windows covered in blood, cars crashed, all that kind of thing. So he thinks that the meteor shower's hitting. And so he's, you know, he's, he's quite worked up with this, but Darren's actually on the bus, and Darren walks up behind him and just knocks, just makes him unconscious, just knocks him out. He then gets taken, so that's him hypnotised. He then gets taken off the bus. 
and he wakens up in a, in a disused in a kind of a derelict army hospital so we've, t- we've taken over this army base um, this unused army base in Norfolk and we've created this kind of hospital environment and so what he does is he gets to sleep that night and we put a mask on his face that's linked up to a machine and what happens is when the way that he wakens up in the morning is we start the machine so the machine starts and he wakens up and his last memory he's not hypnotised at this point but his last memory is all these explosions and bombs and fire and people screaming and stuff like that and he wakes up and he's like totally freaked out because he's got this mask on he's in hospital he's wearing hospital pyjamas and you know and there were certain things that we had to do to like kind of like document a bit of time there so on the edge of the table we did things like if you take a coffee cup and you turn it over uh, turn it over you know if, the, if the, the coffee's wet it looks as if somebody's just spilled it over so what we did was we like spilled it over and let it dry do you know what I mean so there was like coffee stains on some of the tables and there was like a sandwich that we put blue mould on so there's a sandwich so things like that are making him you know because you need to suggest there's the passage of time leaving the bus to abs- him waking up otherwise ab- it's not credible absolutely but also I mean there's things like Stephen's got quite a heavy growth. This is this is well, this is one of the things that came that came to light really really late on. Stephen's really really hairy. He's got a really really heavy growth, and we thought, oh, shit, you know, how's he going to? Surely he'd have a big beard. Do you know what I mean? So what we had to do is beside his bed, we had to get some shaving foam, and then we had to get like a razor and some like shaving foam and like loads of stubble, and just have it in there as if it's like caked. Do you know as if he'd, as if he'd like been shaved. Do you know what I mean? And things like that. So all these like details had to really, really sell this world to him. And then he basically goes on a journey and he finds a little girl and then he meets another character. But, but what he's doing is he's meeting the Tin Man, the Lion, do you know what I mean, the Scarecrow, and he's got to try and find his family. And, uh, you know, we've got, there's this whole horror scene where he's got to run through a hospital and he'd re- he then realises the extent. I mean, it's it looks vast, but it was all filmed within about 600 metres of each other. You know, he gets into taking and he jumps into the back of an ambulance, which has got no windows and it drives about for about two hours. And he thinks he's going miles away into the wilderness, and he's not. He's circling. Do you know and what I mean? And he ends up over the other side of the bush. Is, this is a is this a different level of budget and staff and yeah. responsibility? Well, at this point, Dom, uh, at this point, we were um, we were kind of on fire with this one. Do you know what I mean? We gave this everything because we loved it. Do you know what I mean? It was just. We loved it up to a certain point, but as soon as the bomb started going off, we felt incredible guilt. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? As soon as we, because once, once you, once there's trees bursting into flames in front of you, then the reality about what we're just about to do to this guy kind of like kicked in. But we, we put every, we absolutely put everything into this. We never, we didn't have a big art department. We had me, Dom, one chippy, and we had one other art director. Uh, he was an assistant art director, and that was it. Because it was supposed to be kept secret, or no? Just that was all the budget. That was all that the budget had. It, the, the show went phenomenally over budget, which I'm sure you heard. Um, it went phenomenally over budget, but not not from the art department's point of view. The pyrotechnics bill was bigger than what we had to spend on the set. Um, but essentially, we created like a, a derelict hospital and this kind of like den that, that, that they lived in. I think the reason why we get the bath is because of all the kind of the layering and all the detail and you know and, and stuff like that. And did you th- when you got that bath done? Did you think you'd arrived, or did you know before then, or did you? Or no. Did, was when that... I got that, being honest, when I got that bath, I just thought, what the hell do I do now? <laughs> Seriously, what do what do Oscar? I do? Well, I do, I do, just, somebody's mentioned that I don't do films, I do TV. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, I, I, mean I do. I, it's, it was something that it was something that I. 
it was something that you, you know you you probably everybody that works in TV probably dreams of. Do you know what I mean? But uh, it came along really really quickly. You know, because I was we, we were still in our design infancy at that point. Um, you know, I, and I thought, you know, I've just went. I've been in London for two years, and I've just won a bath. That it was completely, <laughs> completely, and utterly unexpected. And did the, did the, kind of did the phone not stop ringing after that? Because <laughs> then people think you're really expensive. You know, then people are like, oh, we can't afford you. You've got a bath and that's not the case. You know, our, rate, our rates, our rate, we didn't put a rate through the roof because of it. Um, you know, we maybe get maybe get offered uh, better shows. Um, but we actually, we actually we actually lost one job because of it because there was a producer that, that just she, she just like you just, just think you just think they're too big for your boots because you get a bath and we kind of we were saying no we're not we're just telling you you've not got enough money to make the show that you want to make and she was saying you're just being grand so it actually worked against us and actually worked against us in one way. It's saying that though it's uh, you wouldn't give it up. No. So <laughs> let, let's let's move on to because um, they're they're quite close to your uh, drama beginnings and the, they, ne- the they, next two are quite a big leap uh, from it so one's a Channel 5 show and one is a Sky Living show which is about to come back on Channel 4 um, so no. is it on now they are interesting in the design sense because they are both fully functioning spaces Absolutely. so the, the first one in the Beat the Answers is a fully functioning engineering space it's, a, it's basically it's a workshop that's yeah. where they've got to have like lots of different um, disciplines of construction so we had to have like a welding space and welding curtain and everything that was in that had to comply with um, you know with health and safety regulations for that for that discipline and you know we also had like different drills and you know, and um, and all that kind of thing. It had to look real. It was a barn. It was a shell. Um, it was a shell, and it had it, it had to look real. So, as well as the, the the machinery that was in it, which was functioning, we had to create an environment round about it that looked as if it was daily. It, it looked as if that it had to work for telly. So yeah. there had to be like camera traps and all that kind of thing, and we had to be able to light it. But um, also, it had it had to look as if. The, uh, the the surroundings matched the machinery, do you know what I mean? So there was like run about the welding space, and there was like lots of little kind of bums and flicks and all that, and there had to be like the amount of shelving and and stuff that would actually hold their tools, which which go with all these different disciplines. And then for the kitchen show again, you you must comply with Nightmare. all the health and safety because it has to really be a cooker, uh-huh. it has to really be a sink, has to be, really be yeah. You've got you've got to have hot and cold running water. You've got to make sure. You know, any cook, you can't just stick an electric oven in a cooking show if they're looking for some sort of kind of professional level of cooking. It has to be a combination oven, do you know what I mean? Gas burner, combination oven, all that kind of thing. So there's a whole list of stuff that you've got to comply by. Um, you know, and also even down to the surfaces that you use and, you know, the amount of glass you've got in the set. It's, uh, there's millions of millions and millions. Did you did you find that satisfying? No, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. That that kind of thing. That's where you know working with Dom. That's great. That's what he does. You know, and what I do is I make I kind of like come in and make it look good and arrange things and all that kind of stuff. But he does he does all that. I've always found it very very difficult to take information down through written word, and I only found out about this much much later on, because even when I was reading a script when I was doing drama. 
I could read it and I could read it I could read it every six times and then say, somebody would say what's the main character and I could say I don't know <laughs> and I, I could read everything out word for word and then I, I, somebody pointed out to me one day about how you break down a script using five different coloured pens so what you do is if you're reading the script it says uh, so and so walks into the bar and picks up his drink so you would highlight his drink in pink because that's an action prop he then walks through the door with you know the fire exit sign of it you highlight that in blue because that's a dressing prop and you know so to use a combination of colours it really really helps me so and then I also somebody suggested to me that I do this online um, uh, this this online um, uh, test and it's um, and it basically I ask you lots of questions like if someone stops you in the street and asks you directions do you take them there yourself do you mm. gesture with your hands do you tell them verbally do you draw a map blah blah and I did this online thing and it said that I learned through kinesthetics which is demonstration and repetition <laughs> and it made a lot of sense to me because I do learn through demonstration and repetition which is why I had to go to college for a year to learn how to do the graphics because somebody saying just read Photoshop for dummies was never going to cut it for me never ever um, so all that all that health and safety thing, if Dom reads it out and tells me about it, we can have a conversation about it and I'll remember it. But for you know, to sit and read through all that, I hate that. Right. I absolutely hate it. And it's possibly part of the appeal of working in like, light entertainment and stuff because I don't need to read scripts anymore. <laughs> because the action unfolds in front of you. Yeah, but you know, I, I can I get a treatment? I can, you know, I know it's I know it's happening, but I don't need to like, analyze characters and all that kind of thing. I have done and I could do. If the right project came along, then I would take it in drama. But um, at the moment, I don't need to do that. And do you ever? I mean, do you ever get the kind of particularly in things like beat the answers? And do you ever get the kind of fear of God in you when you think Christ, they're about to shoot a ten uh-huh. foot arrow in the air? Uh-huh. Think, oh. I just, what, 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 what really, really freaks me out is when the, you know if there's like um, if we're building something that's supporting someone. You know, we did an advert with Andy Murray. And they wanted us to they wanted us to build this platform that had like a cantilever over it and they wanted him to stand in the cantilever and jump up and down on it. And I just thought, no chance. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm not breaking the ankles of the potential world number one tennis you know, tennis player. I'm not doing that. So uh, you know, I get I get quite worried about stuff like that. Um when it comes to, you know, kind of like when it comes to like duty of care and risk of life and, and stuff. Because, I mean even the like working Darren Brown's pushed we had to, you know, we had to rig it. We had to be partly responsible for rigging a stunt where an old man gets pushed off a building and he gets held by a tiny wee wire. Do you know what I mean? So you know, our involvement in that is, it is it's, pet, it's absolutely petrifying. There's a, I don't know if you guys know about this, but there's a, an online health and safety course that you have to do at the BBC. Has anyone heard of that? And you have, have you have you done it? Yeah. <laughs> Is brutal. You just uh-huh. you get told everything that's gone wrong previously on uh-huh. television programs, uh-huh. and then you have to have set a test about what you would do in this situation. You think, I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but it's about this sense of trying to cover every eventuality. Yeah, but we, but it's weird for every, because every, you've constructed it as uh-huh. opposed to. But every every job, every job we do, we have to do a risk assessment yeah. where we point out what are potential hazards. Do you know what I mean? So we could say this is a potential hazard. So don't anybody do that? And it's always included in the call sheet to make sure that everybody's supposed to read it, so that they're aware of the potential hazards. And it can kind of that alone helps helps minimise the risk. Makes you sleep at night. It's, I hate doing them as well. I absolutely, I absolutely hate doing them. But they're essential. They are essential. Health and safety is mammoth. You can't. There's no point in taking shortcuts because there could be. 
there, there absolutely could be risk to life on it. So you can't, you cannot do shortcuts in health and safety. Um, all right, so we let's crack on. We um, have got some more fun shows to do now. Uh, nobody's going to get burnt down to the ground in this one, um, which is probably one of the biggest shows in British television. And talk about your involvement in that. So that is The Apprentice, obviously. The Apprentice has got three main components in Britain. There's the show, uh, which is it's the boardroom, really, is uh-huh. the main bit of that. And then there is the house that they stay in. Mm-hmm. And then there's You've Been Fired, which is the studio show on BBC Two. So what's your involvement in that? We, um, we The same company who made My Kitchen Rules were called Boundless. Um, and after we made My Kitchen Rules, the, the show wasn't successful. It wasn't recommissioned. It was made for Sky Living. It's a big budget show, basically on the wrong channel. But as you know, we we'd impressed the company with the, with the actual design. So um, they got they then um, they then asked us to come in and design for the Apprentice. Now our involvement the the Apprentice boardroom set is iconic. It is a real set and it's amazing. It's falling apart, but it's amazing. It looks great on TV. Really, really, really well designed. So they asked us to come in and they we had to supervise the build of that in the studio. So we built it, it was to build that, but um, our main contribution to the apprentice is that we designed the interior of the house that, uh, that the, the contributors or the candidates all live in. Now, what they do for that is they always, the apprentice is, we're supposed to be selling this as an aspirational lifestyle, supposed to look as if it could be part of Alan Sugar's um, portfolio property. So they're looking for a big, big house in excess of about eight, £8.5 million pounds in London. Um, now, there's lots of different criteria in that. It's got to have... Uh, four, it's got four bedrooms for the candidates. Um, so that um, it's got four bedrooms for the candidates that can accommodate up to five people in each bedroom. But beyond that as well, because of the because of the filming schedule for the apprentice, they um, we also have to house the production. So we need to have like cameramen because they do it in shifts. You know, so because they sometimes start filming at like three, four, five in the morning, and then they could still be filming until about half past midnight. So we need to have make sure that there's space in the house for the the crew to empty um, sleep, so they can do a swap over. Um, now, it's the challenges of the apprentice is the budget is tiny, that it's absolutely tiny, even though it's a major BBC BBC show. Um, the it's one of these shows where they bring it back every year. They're still using the same budget profile as when they first commissioned it, but the the, the show has become so successful that the aspirations are going up and up and up each year. So um, what we have to do with the events here, you're governed by the BBC's rules regarding product placement and freebies. We're not allowed to get freebies. You know, you're not allowed to like display anybody's logo. So what we do, what we did when we first, uh, the first apprentice, we kind of found a little, a tiny little kind of little loophole, and it's regarding social media. So what we do is we contacted companies that we knew that were going to be social media savvy, because the apprentice tweets at 6,000 tweets per minute when it's broadcasting on air, and it also trends worldwide. So what we did was we contacted companies, in particular a company that you dwell, the furniture company, um, we went to speak to their PR people and we asked them to, to hire us some furniture but at a really, really low rate and um, so we could we could fill, the, fill this house with that stuff. A lot of the houses that we go to have got furniture in them but you've got to take the furniture out because 
these houses have maybe got like six or seven people living in them. But when a film crew turns up to film, there's maybe like 30 crew and there's going to be like 18 candidates. So it, it, the house gets trashed, all the furniture gets trashed. They get a lot of girls are wearing fake tan. It goes all over the walls, all over the furniture. So we've got to put in furniture that we know. Um, we've got to put in furniture that we know they don't mind a bit of wear and tear. Um, and it's it's got to be done. It's got to be done in a really really short time frame. We only have three weeks on that. That includes that's prep, and installation. Um, and uh, it, it's it's tough, but it's great. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite jobs. Um, it's it's tough, but it is really 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 exciting. And the and the set that you had for the you've been fired show was that an easier thing to do because you've got you've got CAD now. You've got all those skills. You've, yeah, you've done but, previous builds again. And, but, the, the, other, the, other, the other aspect of the show is we, like, during the tasks, we consult on the tasks. Um, so, you know, uh, we, we don't actually, we don't a lot of design input, but sometimes they do come to us. Uh, one occasion I get sent to New York for three days to put 20 labels on the beer bottles, Brutal. which was amazing. <laughs> they, they kind of jobs. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah, well, they, they, do, they kind of jobs are few and far between, so I, I jumped at it. <laughs> Um, but the, when we came to do the set they changed the presenter Daryl Brian left you're fired so because they were having a different presenter they wanted a different look so they, we were they had a natural choice to design the new set for you're fired um, and the way that we went about it was again really really no money with 30% of the budget of the first you're fired set and that was the inclusive of fees so you know, money was really really tight but we knew episode 11 in The Apprentice is the one where they go for the interviews and for the last two years, we've done it in a place called the Leaden Hall Building. And we knew that they loved the Leaden Hall Building. We hate it because we're filming in the 40, 40, 46th and 42nd floors. Um, and sometimes there isn't a lift. So you've got to like, walk down 46 flights of stairs, seriously. Um, and because uh, the building isn't actually inhabited yet. So um, we knew that they loved the Leaden Hall Building. So what we did was we used the Leaden Hall Building as our inspiration for the set for You're Fired, which is why you've got the big girders and the window shapes. If you go online and you Google the Leaden Hall Building, you'll you'll, you'll probably see that you you probably see the similarities. But we're going for a look that would look like a a kind of um, a kind of a big corporate buildings kind of foyer type look. But yeah, when we when we uh, designed that show, the, the CAD and this Maya project were amazing because we could present them like five or six the, the variations of a design and then from that we had a conversation about what way the colour of the lighting was going to go and you know all this kind of thing we were involved with a, a company called Studio Lambert um, about the possibility of designing naked attraction that triumph but that didn't in the end up that didn't, that didn't that, go the high watermark of British <laughs> television well in the end up we, we actually we, we backed out of that one right. do you know what I mean we thought it was quite funny at first and then it became it just it was just it just wasn't us um, but also while we were there um, in the initial meetings for Naked Attraction they also, we also then went on to design body fixers um, for Shiro Lambert so they'll be back, back to a one they, you know they kept, they kept us to do the other but there was a production manager uh, a, a line producer who was there and she was in the initial meetings when we were pitching ideas for Naked Attraction and she, she left and she went to work at Shine and uh, Hunted had come back. We didn't do series one. Um, series one was series one. They knew it had potential, but they wanted to up the ante. And series one was shot on location in the actual TV company's offices. But for this, they decided they wanted a better look, they wanted a much much stronger look. So they um, they then kind of 
approached a couple of designers about pitching for the design. But this new line producer had just joined Shine, and she had said, why don't you have a look at the handsome chaps? They then looked at her website, saw that we'd done for Denim Brown, seemed appropriate and stuff, so they got us in. But when they got us in, they, they told us we were the wild card. And because they told us we were the wild card, we loved us. Do you know what I mean? Made us, I don't know, I just felt a wee bit sexy. But so, um, so they, they got us in, they told us we were the wild card, but they just said to us, there's the clips, go and design the show, but they told us no other information, they didn't tell us what they wanted, they gave us a kind of rough budget. So we went and we designed, we went basically we designed a show and it was kind of like two boxes, kind of just side by side. This is, I used a lot of stuff that I'd learned from theatre in this because this looks like a really, really big set that we've designed and it's not, it's all stretch canvas, it's what we call windbags, it's the cheapest way of building anything. It means that one person can pick up panel that size with one hand, screw it together, but as long as nobody touches it and there isn't a big breeze through the room so it doesn't ripple, it'll look like it's concrete. So we so you know, so we, we made we made our money go a really, really long way. But what we also did was having designed the apprenticeship fired where we had the big girders that were resembling uh, the Leiden Hall building, we decided to do a, have us take a similar approach to this. So we put in some diagonal supports that are just like plastic pipes, but we put like big knuckles on them to make them look as if they were like big steel supports, and that gave us all the interest in the room, and it you know it made it made made this that was all it took. It was really really simple, but it made the set look much more interesting. We took a simple box and we put some uh, we put some diagonal supports in key places so that we knew the cat from the camera angles that they would get some really interesting shots of people passing through, and it was that it was basically it was that that won us the pitch. And it was only once we'd won the pitch, um, only once we'd won the pitch, it was only then that they told us they had given the other two designers a brief, and their brief was to design a set that was in a diamond shape, because they didn't want just a regular box. And we'd actually won the pitch with a regular box, but we'd put enough interest in with these diagonal things, and the decision was made by the channel. Um, uh, the decision was decision was made by the channel. Um, they really they really really liked it. We also won that I think partly based on the visuals that we presented because we gave them really really sharp um, these the digital three D renders um, and we won it and it was brilliant. It was it was really really again it was a really fascinating project, really fascinating concept. Levels of secrecy because there was money involved. Two separate teams. You're not allowed to talk to the people in that building and all this kind of thing. It was it was a really 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 great show to work on. And do you think, are you getting, that's quite interesting, do you feel as if you, within the television world, you're going to go to company now for those things that, that need to be kept secret, that have got something quite no. clever about them? Or? No, it's, I mean, do you know what, see if it was up here, possibly, mm. if they're making a show of that up here, then yeah, possibly, but down in London, it's vast, mm. it's absolutely vast, we're tiny, we're absolutely tiny, and um, you know, there's, there's there's loads of people. You know, we've been we've been Royal Television Society nominated twice. We've won one BAFTA. You know, a lot of what we do is kind of like prime time shows. But there's still loads of people that have never even heard of us. Do you know what I mean? They've got absolutely no idea. No idea that we exist because the TV industry down there is absolutely enormous. So I don't think we I don't think we'd go to for any hidden camera pros possibly with all the experience of doing. You know, we've done five series for Derren Brown now. We've also done some other, um, some other covert filming um, for di- for other different shows. You know, I know covert, hidden camera stuff. I know inside it. Um, so maybe that that would be we would be the go to people for that possibly. Okay. Well, we've sort of done about seventy five minutes. Just so, does anybody have any 
questions that are that are burning to us. No, you can work. I worked up here constantly. I worked up here constantly, but you'll only do a certain level up here. If you want to do bigger shows with bigger budgets, you know, I mean, it's faster moving, then yes, you have to go to London. There's, that, well, there's other places, you know, there's like Salford and there's Cardiff and stuff like that. I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there are other big shows happening there and there are other big shows that happen up here. I, I, most of what I do is like studio-based and kind of like constructed reality and, and things like that. But sh- companies like, shows like, um, shows like Back in Time for Dinner, which we did, you know, sadly... Uh, TV companies don't have a lot of money to go outside the M25, you know what I mean, so they they usually happen within that um, but there's, there are big shows which are filmed in Glasgow like 15 to 1 is a big set you know, in it to win it's a big set but they're built in London and they get brought up here because you know, a lot of the production companies are there and they, you know, these big designers that are down there that do these that do these big shows they, you know, they're, um, they're, they're based in London and quite often they're built in London, produced in London, they film, maybe they film a series down there and then they get shipped out up here. So you don't, you don't have to be, you know, I'd, um, I, I, I only went to London, I, I worked up here constantly when I was working as an art director, standby art director, I worked non-stop, I worked all year round, um, but uh, I was offered an opportunity and I took it, and I, having been down and taken that opportunity and been down there, I realised that there was more opportunity there. It depends. It, it depends on how much uh, how much you've got to give it, because it does. It can consume your life. Do you know what I mean? It's you know. I don't. I, I don't have kids. I don't. You know. Or any of that kind of thing. I basically work and party. And that's it. <laughs> Je- everyone's jealous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any others? Stephen, how does someone approach you for a job? Is it? Is it? Sometimes, like, someone's heard of you. Or sometimes we get uh, sometimes we get CVs. You know, we get we get CVs sent. We've got a, we've got a kind of database. You know, so people will contact us through the handsome chaps, and they send us the CV. We keep it on their database. To be to be honest, though, I don't work with a big pool of people. That's not to say that you know people that I've got that I work with. We've got an established team, but I do have a, I do have a kind of database of CVs that that, that, pe- that people have sent that people have sent me. So it comes in the late space. Oh, was that? Actually, really was, um, How did the broadcast to give you a job? Oh, if they're looking to give yeah, me a job. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not looking. Oh, hey, okay. <laughs> uh, David, would, uh, thing, you know, how, how would that work? Sometimes, sometimes we get sent an email saying, you know, what's your availability? Say, are you interested? This is a brief outline of what the show is. Or um, on our website, we've got our phone numbers, so they'll contact either myself or Dom, who I work with, and they'll just. Be, the first question is, are you know we've got a show happening? Are you available? Are you interested? And then you go in and you have a chat. Sometimes, sometimes it's a clear no. We're not the right people for this, you know. But I'm pretty greedy. I try and make everything work, except naked attraction. <laughs> can't can't think of why, Stephen. <laughs> uh, any others? Actually, to talk, you said that you you had like about one hundred CVs, for example, in your database. I don't have hundred. How, oh, how do you how do you pick up a new person? I just how to stand out? Total luck. Sometimes somebody could have a skill. So, you know, for instance, say we need uh, say I need an assistant for a day, and I'm filming in Brighton. Then sometimes I look and see if anybody's sent in a CV from Brighton, and if it's uh, you know if somebody sent a CV from Brighton, they've maybe got kind of like general, you know, kind of like general carpentry skills on the CV, you know what I mean? Really 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 list your assets on your C V and don't be shy about it. As long as it's as long as it's kinda of like kinda of like career appropriate. I wouldn't put you know, kinda of like dancing and socialising <laughs> as part of because nobody's looking for that. 
but you know, if you've got general carpentry skills, if you've got a driving license, you know, I mean, if you've got Photoshop, Illustrator experience, you know, if that that's what I would that's what I would look for. And to be honest, for a position like that, I'm not going to wade through hundreds of CVs. The first one that I come to that's got what I'm looking for, they'll get a phone call. There's a lot. There's a lot of luck. There is. There is so that I can't. Can't pretend that you know that hard work's going to get you everywhere because it's not. There is a lot of luck. That's in, it's not all luck though. Do you know what I mean? You, if you're absolutely rubbish at your job, then your career will go nowhere quickly. You know. So, but there, there, there is an element. There is an element of luck. You have to be able to drive. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, I went hit. I learned how to drive so that I could, so that I could work in TV. What, what I did as well was, uh, I knew there was these crash courses and I just thought that's not for me. So what I did was... Not crashing and, and driving <laughs> at the same time. But what I did was, um, I took a driving license every day until I passed. You know, so I just, from Monday to Friday, I just booked, block booked driving lessons. And, because then what I was doing was, I was you know, that um, demonstration and repetition mm. thing, I was driving on the road at the same time every day, it increased my confidence, I got, did the same route, do you know what I mean, and it, it brought on my confidence, I wasn't a natural driver, um, and I, I had a couple of breaks where I went away to do a couple of fashion industry jobs, um, but uh, I just had a driving licence like, from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock every morning until, you know, until, until I passed my test. You need to be able to drive Photoshop and Illustrator are a must. If you, if you don't know them, learn them. There are evening classes, Saturday morning classes at things like Metropolitan. Even if you're not amazing at them, um, you should at least know the tools which they can bring you. Do you know what I mean? Because there's so much that so much that a computer, computer can do. You mentioned CAD a few times. CAD's a, CAD is amazing. I don't know CAD. CAD, was, CAD came along after my education, you know, but I really, really wish I did um, because... Uh, CAD, CAD is amazing for the technical, technical drawings. The other package which our visualizer uses is Maya, and he uses that for creating kind of the 3D renders that we can kind of like walk all around. I'm never going to learn that. I'm never, ever, ever going to learn that. I wish I could, but. But you're familiar enough with it to be able I'm, to go. I know what I can do. Yeah, I know I can. I can say and throw some up layers, do this, change that, give us another, you know, spin it. I can do. I know what it does. So what's, and what would what would what's next for handsome chaps? Uh, we have uh, we have a small thing for Made in Chelsea next week. We're also in talks about Child Genius for the next series, and we're even talking about Child Genius Christmas special for two thousand seventeen. Uh, we have a pilot episode of a new hypnotist type thing, and we're in talks with Lion about um, we're developing. We get some development money to, to develop some props for another kind of pet-based game show. Uh, another one? Another one, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then, then there's also, early on in the year, we also have, uh, there's, there's stuff, there's always loads yeah. of stuff kicking about. We've just done, we just finished um, a, quite a major show for MTV, so um, I think we're having a bit of a rest. But it won't be a long rest. When I say a bit of a rest, that means like Tuesday. <laughs> um, and then, you know, then we'll be right back into it again because we have we've had a very, 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 very busy production uh, period over the last, say, six or seven months with hardly any hardly any time off at all. Um, and we've got stuff kind of like backing up already in the, already in the new year. 
Is there, is there a kind of show or a, or a something that you want to do that you think, oh, I know how to do uh, <coughs> kitchens now and I'm quite, quite like to do something? I hate the cooking shows. Yeah. I can't stand them. I absolutely cannot stand There's also something about these competitions where you've got to replicate the same thing like three times. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a competition, it's all got to be the same. And, it, uh, you know, if something's not right, it can, it can just cause, cause lots of problems. I don't know. I'm looking for... I would love Hunty to come back. As much as I... I was very, very proud of our set for Hunted because we made so, such a lot of money, got a long, long way, and it gets such a phenomenal response from everyone at the production, um, the production company. Um, I would actually, I would still like to. I'm all, you're always critical. I would like to go back and have the opportunity to correct the bits that I thought were wrong, to put in more detail where I thought it looked a bit bare. You know, we still keep essentially keep the same footprint. We'll build the same set, but this time we'll build it better. And we can, you know, and you, you can can correct correct for mistakes. So I'm I'm looking forward to Hunted coming back. I don't know about the Apprentice. We've done the Apprentice for three years. Brilliant. Has anyone else got a final thought? Or yeah. is there any reason why you've never branched into film, where you stick to TV, or is it just that your choice? It just and uh, not a lot of people put work between film and television unless you work in drama. And right. um, basically, I just kind of I, I got offered an opportunity. I took it, and every opportunity that I was offered after that. Um, every opportunity I was offered after that has led me down this route where we do a lot of kind of like constructed reality and you know um, kind of like, uh, like studio based build shows and all that kind of thing so um, it's not to say that I wouldn't do a film um, I have been approached I have been approached a couple of times but I just didn't have the time I didn't have the time to commit to like reading the script and going for meetings and all that kind of thing everything's a lot of the time we can be juggling like two, three, four up to five shows <coughs> You know, so that we could be like in the studio building a show, and then at lunchtime we're going to be on our computers and we're emailing and answering about something else. And then when we leave, they leave the studio at eight o'clock at night. You maybe go to like the nearest pub and you sit down and you've got to like work with the art director and start building this model. And you know, and then the next day we had to have to like go and meet another company and pitch this idea and then go back into the studio. And then, do you know what I mean? It's hectic. It can be absolutely hectic. Filming's much more about planning and getting it all right and, and stuff like that. What I do is it's 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 hectic. I can't say it enough. It's absolutely mental. So uh, purely purely um, the opportunities that I've had have led me in, in this in this direction. I've never really chased anything. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I've never really thought, God, I'm going to do the hunted. I'm going to chase it. You know, it's, you know, you can only we can only respond to what people come to us with. You know, I've never actually approached a company and said I want to design your show because that would be insanely arrogant. If you ever done a TV series at the Truman Show or something, you would probably be a good guy. Possibly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You pitch that, mate. <laughs> exactly. You pitch that and phone me. <laughs> All right. Thank you for coming along, obviously. Uh, I hope you got something out of it. And um, I wonder if you could give a little round of applause for Stevie. Thank you very much.